Discover new mind and body hacks to thrive as a human today. The Institute for Aliveness is here to teach you all the things you never learned in school. From talking poop, sex, childhood trauma, emotional intelligence, psychedelics, and of course, fasting and food. This is a podcast that changes lives. Join your host, Dr. Andrea Page, as she travels seven continents to find the most captivating, impactful humans for you. Do you want to hear a funny story? Okay, first, fuck me, it's hot and I'm sunburned. <laughs> Don't tell my mom. Um, second, so, I don't know, like a month ago or something, I got this email from a PR person from El Nutra, which hopefully none of you have heard of because they're the parent company to the fasting mimicking diet. And this is something that I've been cringing about since I found out about it about four years ago, I think. And um, funny enough, a close family friend is one of their lead medical doctors. Well, this PR person was writing me to say, hey, will you have our other lead medical doctor on your podcast, Vitality Podcast? Please host him. Like, he, he has lots of things to share that would be beneficial to your audience. And so I said, hmm, what an opportunity. <laughs> so naturally, I said yes. Yeah, sure, I'll host him. Let me see. So uh, I'll post the podcast. I'll, I'll publish it for you guys. Um, I was very, very sweet, very kind. I didn't just put him in any corners. I mean, I might have like walked him over to a corner at a certain point and been like, doesn't this not make sense? <laughs> in a very Andy way. And um, he was like, yeah, no, that doesn't make sense. And I was like, cool, I'm glad I have that on the record. And then I was like, so you want to be doing a lot of fasting studies. Maybe we can populate those studies and partner. And I mean, I can't wait till you guys hear the podcast because the dude sounded not incredibly intelligent. And of course, intelligence is not conveyed by how well one speaks. Let's not all have such high standards yet. 20 years at Harvard, epidemiology, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, mumbling over his words about fasting so end of the day i don't know i think i got what i wanted told him about tifa foundation he said that we're very ambitious with the work that we're trying to do amongst the human population and i said yes of course we're ambitious what else would you want to be and uh yeah that was about it so i feel good i feel good i got a lot of my questions answered you know when things just come to you like you know you want to make a fool out of someone they make a fool out of themselves it's all good it's all good it's wonderful please don't buy their product and if you want to get involved with the work that we're doing at tiva foundation um you totally can just send me a message we are actually we've just put a up structure to be able to accept external volunteers the tifa students are currently the core team for tifa foundation and we're moving forward with the project which is super exciting um, we have four initial test countries, which I will write here. Hello. Hi, good morning. Hi, William. It's not morning where I am. Nice to speak to you. Uh, where, where are you? Which part of the world? I'm currently in Kyrgyzstan. Oh, really? Amazing. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know. Are you in... Yeah. Are you in California? I am in Boston. You're in Boston. Okay. I know the rest of your team's in LA, right? Well, the company headquarters is actually in Dallas, Texas. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. I... Um... 
Yeah. And and what is your role, Tommy? Uh, I'm sorry. What is your role? Uh, I'm the chief medical officer at El Nutra. Uh huh. And so I do uh, I do all the clinical trials, uh, manage all of our portfolios on research, and that's one of my uh -huh. functions. But I also I run the education team uh, at El Nutra as well. So it's a it's a fun job. I get to take a peek of the future and help to bring. Yeah, and tell me back. tell me about your background. Yeah, so I I am a uh, an endocrinologist. And prior to joining the company, I was at um, a Jocelyn Diabetes Center, so which is a um, one of the oldest diabetes center in the world, and part of the, it's a teaching affiliates at Harvard Medical School. So I was faculty there at Harvard for about twenty years before joining the company. Mm -hmm. Wow! And what? And you taught endocrinology. Yeah, mostly diabetes, obesity, diabetes, and also took care of patients. I did I ran trials, and for the last five years prior to uh, leaving Joslin, um, I was uh, essentially running a consulting business uh, on behalf of the Joslin Diabetes Center, where we provide um, a lot of diabetes solutions, meaning um, building programs, building hospitals around the globe, and so that was that was. Um, my main, uh, my main responsibilities. And did you do any work with prevention in that? Some in prevention, a lot, lot of education and a lot of it in, in developing diabetes programs. So we have worked quite a lot in the Middle East, um, in Far East, in the Caribbeans, um, and just working with um, hospitals, schools, ministries of health, and, and so on and so forth. So was a Quite a fun job. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Do you have any data that of like um, the efficacy of that kind of program? Did you check a track record and especially in those developing countries or in the Middle East and places like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we would, for example, design an educational approach to training the physicians. And uh, for example, giving uh, one very fascinating project we did was actually um, in the in Japan. Uh, you know, it, it's one of the more advanced countries in the world, but interestingly, the, the clinicians uh, operating much like a, a sort of solo player, right? So they would do their best uh, to take care of their patients. But if you were to ask them, for, you know, like, how, how well are your patients doing in, in your entire practice? Very few doctors actually look at their panels and know, for example, you know, what percentage of patients actually reaching targets. And we, we had used this kind of a performance metrics and uh, they were shocked to see, you know, the areas where they might have some lapses and, and areas they felt they were doing well, but actually they weren't. And so uh, we were able to get uh, almost doubling their efficacy, their, their just their approach uh, and the outcomes of their approach uh, simply by making them aware of sort of a more of a forest view of their practice instead of individual view. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Um, where, so how does that connect to El Nutra and what you're doing now? Um, it's very interesting. So, so I came to, the, I came to the, 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 the diabetes center with the idea that I wanted to use science, right? I want to discover new science to help people. And so I did. I, for 10, 15 years, 
yeah. I looked at populations that that uh, that didn't appear very overweight, and and yet they developed diabetes. It turns out that that's not actually the the, the minority of the of the folks, especially if you look at people living in the Asia Pacific region, sort of the Asia Pac region. You know, more than fifty percent of the new cases of diabetes in the world actually is going to come out of that region. And many of the people wow. in that region of the world actually do not look very overweight. And yet the diabetes mm-hmm. epidemic is hitting hard in that region. So I spent a lot of time looking at that, that population. You know, why did they develop diabetes within, within, when they did not, you know, obviously, you know, sort of from a physical standpoint, look very overweight uh, compared to, for example, uh, uh, North Americans. And, and so I uh, published some paper, looked at the reason, look at sort of environmental factors. Then I say, you know what? Most of the clinicians that take care of patients probably don't read those original studies. What I needed to do was to get into, um, into like associations so that I could write guidelines. <laughs> so I ended up participating in, for example, the American Diabetes Association's National Guidelines Committee. Uh, committee. Um, and so... Uh, in 2015, we, we wrote national guidelines every year, right? So I was part of a committee that published positional statements. So because I, I was thinking to myself, hey, if, if, we, if we help towards sort of, of revising the guidelines, national guidelines, then, then for sure, right, the clinicians will follow, right? <laughs> and then I realized that in practicality, I mean, physicians are busy. They've got a few minutes with their patients. I mean, so while you could... Uh, right guidelines, there was still, you know, not as a concrete kind of an impact. So I decided to, to, uh, to get into just building the programs for them, right? So if we build hospitals, if we build programs, if we educate them, then, then they all need to do is just to follow the model, right? <laughs> so, so that was fun mm-hmm. because we, we start seeing the fruit of our labor. We, you know, in the Middle East, for example, we would work with Ministry of Health. So that was pretty good impact. And then I realized, you know, that if we stop working, if we, we're not taking care of patients uh, on the weekends or if we were on vacations, then what happened? Uh, diabetes is not being cared for when clinicians yeah. are not around. And so the idea is, is there something even more scalable, something even more impactful? Uh, so I, I found two ways, right? One is empowering the patients themselves, right? Because mm-hmm. diabetes is really a self-managed disease. Clinicians can play a mm-hmm. part, but the key is really empowering the patient. So that's number one. Number two is if, if, if I get into the business of making a product that really works, right? So, so even when, when I'm sleeping, even when I'm on vacation, even if I'm away from work, the patient is still benefiting from it. And so this is when I, uh, I came across El uh, Nutra, the company that I'm currently working for, and, uh, and saw the amazing signs and the platform, the technology. And so that's why I decided to, to join the, the company to leading there. Uh, research and clinical trials and education. So that's kind of the the, the short end of the uh, summary of the, of my story and my journey. Amazing! Thank you, thank you for sharing. Um, I can't wait to dive into what you just said about El Nutra and the clinical studies and the ways in which you're working and the, the really what inspired you to you know stop a. 20 year professorship at Harvard and and jump aboard something like this and and why it 
felt like it held the promise of um, enacting change that you didn't feel you could make necessarily in your global health work. Well, thank you. Thank you for certainly inviting me to, to your podcast. And yeah, um, fantastic. So, uh, um, yeah, so let's start with maybe that like concrete, what made you so inspired by the work that you're doing at El Nutra? And if you want to give an overview or anything like that, I would love to hear. I think the story really starts with the, the idea of fasting. And uh, for a long time, you know, we, we kind of always looked at fasting as something that uh, only very special people could do, right? <laughs> you know, I think, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, our audience us, in this podcast is very special. <laughs> yeah, I think most of us, I mean, even, even physicians, if we were to go, to go to a medical conference and they don't feed us, we complain. <laughs> Uh, eating is such part of our culture, mm -hmm. and uh, and what really intrigued me about fasting was the fact that um, it is a practice that is that that you that you see across every culture in the world. Think about it: mm -hmm. culture, Far East, you know, Middle East, uh, Western culture, uh, in in the the MENA region, anywhere around the world. Um, there is the history of fasting. In fact, if you look at every major religion, it's been part of every major religion, Eastern, Western, anywhere around the world. Mm -hmm. And if you look even deeper, it's not only relevant to humans, but fasting has always been part of nature. You know, between uh, a tiger feeds or hunts, what does the tiger do? Uh, it fasts. In fact, you know, fasting we often think of it as an interruption of feeding, right? Oh, I have to fast. Mm -hmm. today. But rather, really, feeding is really the interruption of fasting. <laughs> For most of uh, mm -hmm. biologic a, uh, a bear, biologic being, um, we almost always spend more time in a fasting stage, right? In our sleep, in between, between eating, than eating itself. And in fact, you know, fasting has progress over time to become a survival mechanism that that nature has has such an, in such a way where when we have fasted there are many adaptive mechanisms that, that occur during fasting that allow the organism to survive through all the stresses of of sort of the biologic cycles and so that's sort of the the background here um, but today even though we see a huge resurgence of interest in fasting. Fasting is actually one of the mm. most historic diet plans that we've ever had. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely preaching to the choir here. This is our specialty at uh, the Initiation and the Institute for Liveness. Yes. So, and, and now what's different about fasting is now we are able to use science to uncover many of the scientific facts and, and the facts around fasting. So it turns out that fasting is not only uh, good on the organism level, meaning sort of is not only good holistically uh, in helping people to lose weight, but now we understand, we understand on a cellular level, fasting actually does amazing, uh, amazing work. If you allow me to expand that a little bit. Yeah, please. 
So, you know, every cell uh, needs to, uh, has had, have all these ears and eyes, right? That tells them if nutrients are coming into the cells. That's part of the natural mm -hmm. function of the cells. When there are lots of nutrients, what, what do these receptors or these ears and eyes uh, of the cells say, hey, there's food coming in, we need to grow, right? The cells grow in size, mm -hmm. the cells grow, you know, uh, they replicate when there's nutrients. And, but very interestingly, when those signals are absent, meaning when there's no food coming in, no nutrients coming in, what do the cells do? The cells actually go into a protective pathway. It not only protects mm -hmm. itself from, from all the outside world, knowing that there is no food coming in, but it actually uh, rejuvenates and recycles during that times of, of deficiency. So I give you the one example. It's almost like, you know, the pandemic, right? <laughs> we got, we, we got the world got mm -hmm. hit by COVID. A lot of business were suffering in the beginning, right? So a lot of the business got shut down. Why? Because there's no income coming in. So what do, mm -hmm. what do business have to do? They have to adapt. How do they adapt? We say, oh, okay, you know, you know, for the restaurant business, instead of sitting in, we'll do takeouts, right? And, and now we gotta, we gotta, we gotta restructure Right. And it, when that stress of no money coming in, no revenue coming in, when it lasts over a period of time, you have to begin to, unfortunately, restructure the workforce, meaning you got to let some people go. But, but you keep those who are essential to the business. Right. And, and long story mm -hmm. short, months into it, the business that survived got better because they're now leaner and stronger and so on and so forth. So think about the cells uh, in, the same, in the same way. When there is no nutrients coming into the body, the cells have to say, hey, I got to survive. There's no nutrient comes in, right? Coming in. Mm -hmm. The first thing we have to do mm -hmm. is to shut down these growth pathways, right? Mm. When you think about in, in the, sort of the modern age, I mean, if you're a grown adult, uh, what do you need to grow? <laughs> you know, we grow sideways, mm. that's what we do, right? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so the cell says, okay, you know, uh, there's no nutrients coming in. I'm gonna to, to, uh, to, go, to go into a, a protective pathway, right? I cannot grow mm. right now. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna recycle. I'm gonna take out some of those old and worn out cellular parts and replace with new ones, right? Because, mm -hmm. because I know there's no food coming in. I have to recycle, I have to rejuvenate. And in this recycling path, right? This pathway where the old and worn out cellular parts are being replaced, what do you have? You have new ones now because it, it, it is- Right. And, and so that's, you know, that's what we now know. Uh, we have given it a name called autophagy or autophagy, right? This is mm -hmm. a, a name that was uh, basically has the root in, in the word autophagy. Auto means self, right? And automatic uh, phagy means eating. So the, the, the cells go through the self-eating process, self-recycling process. And we now know this is actually so fundamental to the health and healthy aging of the cells that this work, the discovery of this work was credited with the Nobel Prize in 2016, uh, given to Professor Otsumi in Japan. And so now mm -hmm. we've, got, we've got not only tradition across the globe, but now we have scientific proof, right? And evidence that fasting does something amazing on the cellular level. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And can you do you know of any follow up? Re 
research that's kind of worked to take that forward? Or is that what you guys are up to at El Nutra? Well, this is part of what we're doing. And at El Nitra, we have spearheaded uh, much of the interest in fasting. Uh, we've published a lot of seminal articles and, 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 and uh, uh, scientific research that gave validation to this. Uh, and, and the angle is a little different. You know, while historically people have always practiced water-only fasts, mm-hmm. we have taken a, a slightly different approach and, 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 and the, the approach is a pragmatic one. So while water fast can be very good for people, it is one difficult, two, it may not be safe for some of, uh, of, of, of the, the people living uh, with, a, with some sort of uh, uh, conditions and concerns. And, um, and much of that benefit of fasting is not realized until people go into uh, um, fasting for a little longer period of time. And any fast that goes consecutively for greater than 48 hours, we call that periodic fasting, little prolonged fasting. Mm-hmm. Right? While the, the world has talked a lot about intermittent fasting, you know, when you push that intermittent fasting to over two days, uh, that's when we believe that autophagy, cellular recycling actually occurs. And, and so Elutra mm-hmm. has really focused a lot of its effort, certainly on intermittent fasting, but also in validating the whole concept of fasting with food so that people could actually uh, fast f- uh, for greater than two days. And the idea is this. Mm-hmm. Um, remember I mentioned those years and eyes on the cells, on the surface of the cells that tell people that tells the, 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 the cell whether there's nutrients or not. If we're able mm-hmm. to engineer uh, a product that provides the nutrients, the necessary nutrients to the body, but have the concentration of those nutrients fall below the detection threshold of these nutrient sensors, these eyes and ears, right? That tells the cells if nutrients are there, then in fact, we could actually feed the body, right? Nourish the body at the same time, not triggering these nutrient sensing pathways. And so what's the end result? The cells Mm -hmm. actually are getting the nutrients, but you keep them in the fastest state. And so we introduced Mm -hmm. the the concept fasting with food, but it's not just any food, has to be a specially scientifically formulated uh, um, uh, nutrients. And and therefore uh, using that technology, we have brought to the world this concept and this product, uh, this technology called the fasting mimicking diet. And this is sort of our our, our sort of uh, uh, joy and pride. Mm-hmm. So can I, can I pause you there for a second? Please. So um, I don't know how much research you did about me or the Institute for Aliveness, um, but a lot of what you've been saying is what we've been practicing for about 15 years and have um, thousands, tens of thousands of case studies um, proving this in a non-clinical setting, obviously in a case study um, setting. And we have lots of conclusive evidence, but something that we hold really high as a integral part of um, the fasting process. And 
the fasting process on a cellular healing level is not only autophagy, it could also be um, digestive system repair and mm -hmm. uh, as well as detoxification. And those are two other kind of elements of a three pronged, let's say, triangle of, of, of deep healing that fasting provides. And then, of course, backed by all of the uh, psychological effects, which is really um, what we get into a lot at the initiation. Yes. Nonetheless, uh, we do find that turning off the digestive tract, allowing the system to have absolutely no fiber inside is, is a hugely integral part of the healing that comes through fasting. How do you kind of reconcile for that with still uh, eating? We do believe that. I, I think, you know, the body does need the rest. Um, and, and, you know, one of the one of the biggest uh, challenge we see right uh, around the globe is that we have just too much nutrients being absorbed through the gut. The gut are constantly busy, right? And, and being mm -hmm. and absorbing all kinds of good things and bad things at the same time. So I think that, mm -hmm. that uh, I think, you know, we, we're continuing to, to study these area. For example, we have studies now the, uh, by the renowned universities in the U.S., there are two studies going on right now that look at potentially uh, the effect of fasting-mimicking diet as a technology on inflammatory bowel uh, diseases. And as you know, that that is a disease that that is characterized by inflammation of the gut lumen. And uh, one of the ways to to uh, as a management strategy is to rest the bowel. Um, and in, in our preclinical studies, uh, again, you know, the, these are uh, um, long years of research. We have shown that, that fasting with the right food using fasting mimicking technology, at least in rodents, have turned out to be even better than water fast because it introduces the right uh, bacteria uh, back into the gut. Now, let me just qualify by saying that uh, that uh, clinical trials are still needed for us to to show definitively uh, the role of, of fasting with food uh, in disease states, and, and that's going to have this subject to FDA approval. But it is one evidence uh, of our commitment uh, to uh, to study uh, scientifically and to continue to generate the evidence that's needed to support our products and technology. Can you tell me a little bit more about the bacterial uh, activity that you're talking about and comparing water fasting to kind of a fasting mimicking program where you're still eating? Yeah, so, so when, when you water fast, uh, you know, in general, you are, you are getting rid of both the good and the bad, right? Because you're just not feeding the, the, back, the, the gut bacteria with, with nutrients, especially when you fast for a long time. So there is a decimation of many of the bad ones, but sometimes along with the good ones as well. But when you introduce uh, uh, FMD- is, Sorry to interrupt. Is there, is, there, is there proof for that, for the quote unquote ruining of the good bacteria through water fasting? Yes, so we published uh, about four years ago in Cell. Um, it, again, it's an rodent model of, of inflammatory bowel disease where we show that there was a shift, certainly uh, with fasting, that there were uh, changes in the microbiome where the good and the bad both have, have, have decreased. But when we introduce uh, a, a group of, of rodents, with a fasting mimicking technology or fasting mimicking diet, 
uh, we show we we were able to show that there was there is there's reintroduction of good bacteria because it's plant-based food in there. It's specially specifically formulated. That was a shift towards uh, the bacteria that were identified to to correlate with with healing and and with with better outcomes. Uh, again, you know these are in animals, and and I always have to press preface by saying that humans are are different than animals, but these are early evidence uh, that introducing uh, good bacteria could be a one management strategy. And obviously we're conducting human trials and that's why we have two ongoing right now that aim to look at specifically uh, whether this is better than placebo. Okay, so there's a, there's a lot here that sounds like it's not so known, uh, but being hinted at. Um, I don't know how much has actually been done on water fasting in humans. And I would definitely say that water fasting in rats is different than water fasting in humans, just because of the, um, if nothing else, the biological reality of humans, where we are constantly absorbing through our skin bacteria amongst other things. Um, whereas, you know, rats are hairy creatures that don't have the same kind of porous membranes that, you know, that, that we might, um, so yeah, I think there's some complexity there, but um, one kind of solution if we have this problem that we're setting forth, which is, okay, we realize that turning the digestive system off is a really important part of fasting and the healing that comes from fasting. And secondarily, uh, we see that the good bacteria that can come from something like food might help during a fasting process, then wouldn't something like, let's say, fermented coconut kefir water or something like this be a, a much better solution? I think that's a, that's a good uh, hypothesis and you, could, you might as well be right. And, and um, I, I think that's why we, we, we're painstakingly uh, spending a lot of resources on clinical trials because ultimately they're gonna provide us the kind of evidence we need. Uh, but the concept that uh, can we augment fasting uh, is a very interesting concept. Mm. It's one that, that we are we're actively looking at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the psychological effects, because, I mean, you mentioned oh. the word placebo and we can't, you know, ignore the fact that placebo is the most powerful medicine of all and that yes. our psychology has an ability to change our biology. Absolutely. Um, do you, do you have any kind of interface with with the psychoneuroimmunology part of it of fasting and you know the great benefits that can happen? It is amazing. I, I you know I think there is definitely um, a lot of research done uh, looking at fasting on, for example, the effect on the brain, and but uh, even for people who have used uh, fasting mimicking dial, uh, diets, in our case, we have uh, over. Uh, 200, probably 230, 240,000 people using our product so far. And one very common uh, positive result is that they just feel better, right? So there is this resurgence of energy uh, after they fast uh, with the fasting mimicking diet. Uh, they, mm -hmm. many of the people report uh, mental clarity afterwards, right? Especially once you, you, especially when you fast over time, meaning that if you repeat if, uh, this fasting with, with fasting mimicking diet, and I would uh, uh, probably uh, suppose that with fasting uh, alone with water as well, 
that the more you fast, you become more metabolically flexible, right? Much like a person would, would do stretching the first time, that does yoga one time, first time probably, you know, you're going to feel the muscle stretched and sore the next day. But if you continue to do that, you definitely become more muscularly flexible. Same thing with metabolism, right? The more that we fast, mm-hmm. the body's able to jump into fat burning quickly without going through the stress uh, of that conversion from carbohydrate burning to fat burning, and, and thereby one becomes more metabolically flexible. And one fascinating uh, phenomenon associated with fasting is also when you, when you fast, the fat that you burn first is actually the visceral fat, <laughs> the fat in the belly, right? These are the fat that you actually mm-hmm. don't want to, uh, don't want in the body because they're associated with all kinds of bad health outcomes. Um, mm-hmm. Fasting, as, a, as opposed to calorie restriction, chronic calorie restriction actually preserves uh, lean body mass at the same time, burn those stubborn fats in the belly, which is very different than just eating a low calorie diet, mm-hmm. eating a low calorie mm-hmm. diet. Uh, you know, you ended up losing both lean body mass and oftentimes that then includes the muscles as well as the fat in the body. And, and it, it almost becomes counterproductive for people mm-hmm. who just wanted to have healthy aging and be healthy because you don't want to lose those, mm-hmm. lose those precious uh, lean body mass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, Hmm. Talk to me more about um, kind of the metabolic resiliency and what happens after people fast for years, because obviously I'm sure you've heard the critique that, um, you know, after you fast, your body is going to be in such a a low that it will just gain a bunch of weight. What have you found both in your studies and, and in laboratory? Yeah, I think, you know, what we've been able to, to shed light on is uh, fasting is actually only half the story. Right? And most of, it, uh, most of us have focused on, on sort of the effectiveness and, and, and sort of the insight from fasting. But it turns out that mm-hmm. reef eating, meaning that the period right after fasting, what you eat is almost as important. Think about it, right? So mm-hmm. you just wring mm-hmm. this tower, right? Uh, a towel, uh, uh, out of water, right? So that you wring the water out of the towel and now, you know, what you put back into the towel, right? the liquid, it's going to be super absorbent right now, right? Much like a sponge. And so, you know, what you put into the body uh, during that refeeding phase is critical. And so we often mm-hmm. recommend that that is the time when your body is super, super uh, hungry, right? The body wants to... Mm. to rebuild. And so we would suggest, for example, eating more plant-based food, right? E- eating mm-hmm. food that don't have a lot of chemicals and additives because organic, yeah. Yeah. Office. Organic if you could, right? If you have access to it, certainly. And try not to go, uh, try to try to avoid as much as a sort of animal base, especially uh, meats uh, based diet, because that's that's where the body is so hungry. And it's, it's, at, it's aggressively rebuilding. You want to make sure the body sees good bacteria. You want to make sure the body sees good ingredients and not polluted or in, uh, adulterated ingredients or, or even, you know, a lot of the animal-based fat. If you, if you want to, uh, if you're not a vegetarian, certainly uh, more fish-based diet, more plants-based diet. And that's probably last probably from a five to 10 days will be a critical period 
uh, where you eat well and not not over uh, not overfeed. You know, otherwise you, you you'll go back to the yo-yoing effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not overfeed can give me a calorie range for that. When someone's coming off of a fast, what would you recommend? Let's say for an average woman, um, you know, midlife, around 20 or 30, 40 years old. Yeah, it, it really depends, right? So it depends what your metabolic goals are, right? So if, if you are somebody who's healthy, who's normal weight, then you can go back to your usual weight because weight loss is not the key here, right? For a lot of people, mm-hmm. fasting could be a way to weight loss. For, for, for some, it's really for rejuvenation, for healthy aging. And for those people who are normal weight, you could go back to your, your uh, previous uh, level of calorie. But for those who need additional weight loss, maybe you could add on to intermittent fasting on top of this, this uh, periodic fasting period. And, and one of the most mm-hmm. common ones that people are using without really interrupting their life is a circadian kind of fasting. So a daily uh, intermittent fasting, limiting to uh, 16 hours of, of fasting, eight hours of eating, what we commonly refer to as 16-8, right? Or mm-hmm. uh, Depending on your level of comfort, you know, uh, 1410 is another regimen people have used. And this just is another way to add on to sort of that, that discipline uh, post a, a, a couple of days of, of, of fasting, either with water or, 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 or with fasting mimicking diet. Mm. In, in, that case, um, in that case, the focus is not so much on caloric restriction, uh, restriction, but on the timing of eating. And so a lot of people find that a little easier than counting the calories. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know the work of, of Dr. Sachin Panda, who we celebrate greatly at, at the Institute for Aliveness. Um, and would you also add not only to the eating framework, like let's say we're having an eight hour eating period, that it also depends that it must be during daylight hours, for example. Uh, and and that, that really f- uh, falls <clears throat> under <clears throat> the concept of, of circadian eating, right? Where the, mm-hmm. you know, we know, you know, uh, as impressive as, as the 2016 Nobel Prize in 2017 Nobel Prize was given to scientists who discovered that every cell has got a clock internally, right? Internal cellular mm-hmm. clock. That, that not only that clock is not only in the brain, everybody, and a lot of people know that there is this pineal gland that secretes right? Sort of the hormones that regulates the circadian rhythm of the body, but every, actually every cell has genes that encode these internal clock. And what you're referring to is exactly right, right? Every Mm -hmm. cell has got that internal clock and it's better to eat according to sort of the internal rhythm, the biologic clock of the body. And so eating while the sun is up and not eating when the sun goes down, that has been, uh, that's as old as, as the ages, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, let's say, antithetical to a, a European kind of diet, especially in the summertime. Uh-huh. Um, but for anyone listening, it, it would be something like 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. would be kind of an ideal eating window. And uh, what do you think about different ages or different genders recommending a different feeding window? Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I think certainly... Um, one of the key principle uh, in medicine is always do no harm, right? And so the question always mm-hmm. is, how do we keep fasting as safe as possible? Mm-hmm. And generally we will recommend um, 
people who are less than 18 years of old uh, do not undertake a fasting regimen unless they talk to their healthcare provider. Um, mm-hmm. Because the person is growing, the body really needs nutrients to grow. And, um, and but in certain conditions where, uh, where there are metabolic goals, that there are weight loss goals, as we know, childhood obesity is huge right now, but we would certainly advocate that only uh, under the supervision of a clinician. And on the other mm. spectrum is the people who are older, like 70 years and older. And, and it's not that we consider that old age, not at all, right? In modern age, in certain areas of the world, I mean, people live until much older than 70. But uh, generally speaking, um, uh, people uh, who are over 70s just have to be, uh, be careful of a, a, a few things. One is if you haven't fasted before and you were doing it for the first time, you don't know what the impact of that fasting on, on your sort of ability to operate a vehicle or, or, or a heavy machinery. Mm-hmm. So you should find out, right? Uh, and you, you should do, start with the, uh, with the shorter fast instead of jumping into a long fast, right? Number two, many mm-hmm. people who are in that age range may have other comorbidities, Maybe they're taking diabetes medicine. Maybe they have other conditions that may not um, uh, sort of, you know, they may not want to, to undertake a prolonged fasting period without talking to, to their clinicians. So that's also something that, that we would advise a discussion with their uh, uh, clinicians before uh, embarking on any fasting journey. And number three, people who are in, in that age group um, we just want to make sure that they don't fall right with fasting. Sometimes mm-hmm. uh, people are dehydrated people. If they don't drink enough fluid, if they're not very experienced with their reaction, to their body, we just wanted to, to make sure that people that take these precautions, but you know, are there absolute numbers? Uh, I don't think so. I think, you know, somebody who's 70 years old could be as, 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 you know, their bio, their true biologic age could be 60 years old. Right. So, it's very mm-hmm. hard to use chronological age as an absolute cutoff, but we would uh, at least uh, share our, our, our cautions, right? And, and just make sure that they take in the, these cons- considerations into, into their decision-making process. And how do, you, how do you like to determine biological age or what, what would you use in laboratory? Well, uh, there are many different ways to assess biologic age. Um, uh, you know, we um, have a, a support sponsor studies that, that look at uh, a specific biologic age uh, that was, um, was uh, developed uh, at Yale. Um, and mm-hmm. with, um, um, yeah, with a specific... Uh, that would take uh, blood tests, right? There are certain markers of the blood test and these are common blood tests, but we're able to come up with a formulation, a formula that would predict a biologic age and it was validated uh, through uh, a large US database. But but again, there could be many other uh, biologic age scores and the the, the challenge is always uh, coming up with one that, that is standardized and that, that is endorsed by, uh, by the scientific community uh, in a consensus way. And I think we're working towards that goal. Uh, I think this is now mm. increasingly recognized that chronological age is, is woefully uh, falling short of, uh, 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 as a marker to assess uh, the true uh, age of, of an individual. And, and therefore now, 
I think multiple institutions and organizations are now, now launching uh, various ways of assessing biological age. Mm. Okay, very interesting. So I, as I understand from that answer that a lot of the research um, that you're putting funding into is not only around fasting, but also around kind of rejuvenation or um yeah, just at large, making the human healthier earlier, extending human life longevity in a certain way, but more of kind of quality of cellular life. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, the modern medicine have focused very much on sort of how can I impact the end organ, the end receptor, the end target, right? For example, Mm -hmm. uh, many of us, uh, many of our listeners take uh, a cholesterol medication, and that, that mm. addresses a, such a sort of end step, right, in, in the conversion of cholesterols. Um, but fasting is altogether taking a very different approach. It's a very upstream intervention. And, and the reason, uh, what I mean by that is fasting impacts every cell in the body. Like, for example, uh, mm. for a company, if there's no revenue coming into a company, every employee gets affected. Mm-hmm. Right. The heart, uh, the, the heart cells need to respond to the stress of fasting. The brain needs to react to the response to the stress of no food coming in. Right. Uh, the skin, mm-hmm. needs to, every part of the body needs to, to respond to it. So our hope is that this very upstream intervention, uh, one intervention, the, the stress of, of no food coming in triggers uh, what's in the uh, activate all the embedded mechanism throughout the ages, right? Th- those processes for rejuvenation, and we're hoping, and we're doing studies, and we're committed to to uh, taking the science to the next step. How fasting could really lead to um, a better health, right? Through activation mm-hmm. of, of these stress responses, it's really amazing mm-hmm. uh, mechanism if you, if you think about it. What other interventions affect every cells in the body? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, hey, as I said before, you're preaching to the choir. Um, (laughs) And we at the initiation, we run um, dozens of people every month through a seven-day fasting program uh, that is a liquid, only fresh green juice diet. And so we have our own kind of data, um, which is, uh, of course, Exidio, it's out of laboratory, but um, our intention is really to... Um, get the wearable revolution involved and, and start to look at uh, physiological biomarkers as metrics that we can do in kind of more decentralized studies. Um, because as you alluded to, if you're studying on rats, then you don't know what happens in humans. And so, Absolutely. yeah, perhaps one day we could look at, at, at a kind of partnership. That would be f- f- fantastic. I think, I think the, the world needs to know more and hear more about potentially, you know, how to you know, the benefits of fasting and what are the best ways to fast as well. And, and not only to fast, but uh, how do we replenish the body after the fasting? And, and there, there are many questions remains. For example, what is the optimal frequency of fasting? How long uh, is, the, is the optimal fasting for you, right? And, and with a certain conditions, you know, what, what, how can fasting be leveraged to support the management of a certain condition. These are all fascinating topics for further research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted uh, for years, I thought maybe I would do my PhD on 
like to just run clinical trials on, on long-term fasting in humans. And then I was thinking, no, 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 no. A, I'm way too biased. B, <laughs> um, that's not my strong suit. Um, but then I was thinking maybe I'll volunteer and someone can run a clinical, you know, clinical trials on me because I've been fasting just to give you some, some background. I've been fasting for 15 years and, um, you know, I've, I've done uh, up to one month on water, two months on, on liquid only green juice, that kind of thing. And, um, I fast for up to three months out of every year and that's not including the normal intermittent fasting periods. And so, um, a lot of my mission over the past decade plus was to kind of find, the the end point like how how much is too much right and yeah. i do i do feel like i found some of that um in my own body and a few other trusted students and um and then with the you know the thousands of of humans that i've gotten the privilege of fasting both water fasting and green juice fasting um i, I you know i have a lot of data and so it's it's about like what do we do with this what is oh. what is the next step how do we make this work for humans beyond any kind of capitalized model um where any specific company would benefit because obviously this is something that is the original open source healing it's the original medicine that comes from within yeah yeah and fortunately uh fortunately if you look into the mainstream scientific world uh medicine um um the world is beginning to 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 pay pay attention to this um, it, I mean, mm. I, maybe your audience to look into clinicaltrials.gov, right? That's a U.S. Re- registry for all the clinical trials and that's done in the U.S. You're beginning to see mm-hmm. I mean, here there are more serious, large studies being done uh, on the potential benefits of fasting. And this is not something that we've seen in 10 years ago, let's say. Uh, even in 2019, New England Journal of Medicine, right? One of the most respected medical journal published mm. a landmark review on on intermittent fasting and so mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 opening the door for a scientific dialogue on it, on the benefits of fasting and potential harm if done in the wrong way right and so so i think uh i i'm optimistic that that the world uh, the scientific world is beginning to take the notice of an age-old practice, right? This is something, one of the mm. most common practices around the globe. And, and in fact, it's such mm-hmm. a critical part of every living organism. I think finally, we're beginning to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. Mm. But also thanks okay, to pioneers well, like you, you know, uh, thanks to pioneers like you who have uh, advocated and championed uh, uh, experimenting uh, with your, your, your own cohort, yourself, and uh, the uh, the pioneers are always driven by passion and vision, and and I think you're on, onto something really fascinating. Yeah, for sure. That's that's what we're here for. It's it's you know right under our noses, and yet so many humans are ready to reach into the medicine cabinet instead or ignore the power that's you know <laughs> literally in their own hands. Yes. Yeah. And mm. I think in, in the beginning of the program we talked about how many of the conditions that we suffer uh, as a society's health issues are related to, to food, related to uh, the lack of self-management. And I think the key mm-hmm. now is not only more effective treatments and medicines, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm certainly not, not uh, knocking them down, but rather 
can we give the power back to individuals? How do we empower mm -hmm. uh, the people who are dealing with these conditions? And I think, um, and the, you know, the, through through fasting, through the right, um, the scientifically validated uh, fasting methods, this could be a, a fantastic tool in the hands of of, of our uh, listeners and our consumers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um... Yeah, the process of, of, of science, I feel like, lags so far behind the, the practice of fasting and the ability to self-observe. And it's the scientific validation. When I hear you say scientifically validated fasting methods, it's like, ah, okay, if, if only the science could catch up because what we know and what we see is so far beyond um, what the science has validated, right? At least what I know and what I see. Yeah, I, I think... Outside um, of the lab. Yes, and and I, I think in every endeavor, there's always the 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 uh, the innovators, right? The, the disruptors, and 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 thank mm. God right? they're they're the ones who are introducing new ideas, and 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 but but I think in this case, it's it's a it's really an old concept, right? Fasting is really an old concept, mm -hmm. but now we're just uh, mm. taking a a new look at it. And, and that's what's beautiful about mm -hmm. this. The story is not a new one, um, but now we have so mm -hmm. many more tools to substantiate its practice. Amazing. Okay, well, is there anything else that you'd like to share? No, I think uh, I wanna thank you for, for this time, uh, for uh, inviting to, uh, me onto this podcast. And I think, I think it's time that yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, I think the timing could not have been better. I think after the pandemic, or some of us are still going through, some of our mm. uh, parts of our world are still going through the pandemic. I think people are tired. People wants to people want to take care of themselves. They want to have mm -hmm. uh, they, they they're ready. You know, people have been cooped up at home. They've gained weight. They have, you know, their their mental stresses is up through the roof. Uh, we're hoping mm -hmm. through our, our products, through our fasting, living diet, through what you're advocating, sort of self-driven fasting approaches can really be mm -hmm. a tool that, that not only transforms the body, but also the mind. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's what we do is try to, you know, get the most out of that, almost juice the, the ability of what like fasting opens you to to do the deep dive into the psychology and into anything from healing trauma to really letting go of that, which is holding anyone back in their life. And that I, I feel that there's a, a strong medicinal edge um, in, in some of the techniques that we're using at the initiation where you have the cross section of psychology and human physiology or um, to some extent, you know, all of the disease prevention scenarios. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would love, I would love to talk to you at um, a point in the future. We can have a separate conversation about the work we're doing with Tifa Foundation, um, where we're designing 30-year preventative health paradigms and working with royal family nations and small country governments to, um, yeah, roll them out and get large-scale data on uh, what can happen in a population when you change habits and give different opportunities and incentive structures. So I think you would possibly be a great advisor for that project. Wow, that, that sounds uh, amazing, uh, especially yeah. not only about individuals, but uh, thinking in terms of population health. That, that's, wow, that's yeah. inspiring. 
yeah, society-wide, that is the work that we do at the Institute for Aliveness. We, we, we aim big. We hold the bar really high and we, we will encourage humanity to, to raise, raise up until they can meet that standard of like, let's just become more. Let's not digress as a human species. Let's evolve. So, yeah. I was listening to that for you. If you learned from or moved by the episode, pay it forward. Go to Apple now and leave a five-star review so others can benefit. Join the Institute for Aliveness for a one-week transformational fasting experience. Consider getting an astrology reading from Andy or enroll in the one-year health coach certification course. Whatever you do, don't let this learning pass you by. Do something now to impact your lifestyle for good.